Each of us came into this world in a state of slavery. In a legal sense, we were born free men. But morally, that is in terms of our state of righteousness, we were born into what the Bible refers to as slavery to sin. In our reading just now, we saw a great contrast. God changes certain people so that they're slaves no longer of sin, but of God himself. If God has affected that change on you, you will have become a willing slave of God through Jesus Christ. I want to talk a bit about slavery in general as people commonly understand it. You all know that throughout human history, well, in every part of the world there has been slavery. Uh, Countries will invade other countries and kidnap people and take them away or they might even enslave people within uh, their own country. Uh, There's tons of money to be made in it and this is why it's always been so popular. It's difficult to say historically who's been the richest man who's ever lived. One of the contenders is uh, a man called Mansa Musa. Now he was a 14th century uh, African emperor in the kingdom of Mali. Mansa Musa was, uh, his equivalent wealth today would be in, you know, it would be like I don't know, several trillion perhaps, it's difficult to say. Surprise, surprise, Mansa Musa was a slave trader. And and so, and, and all, in fact, most of the slaves that he, he, um, he sold to the Arabs were actually fellow Africans. People will do anything, friends, if there's enough money in it. What about today? Well, it's still a big issue. Slavery as big Slavery is bigger today than it has ever been, can you believe? There's perhaps between 20 and 30 million people alive today in some form of slavery. That includes children. I thought, I looked at a map. I thought it was interesting that the places with the least or no slavery are those countries which have been most affected by the Christian gospel. Anyway, I thought today that we should talk about slavery as it appears in the Bible. And it's important to note that the word slavery describes a range of things. At one end of the spectrum, you have the worst type of slavery. And so this is where someone is kidnapped and forced to work for nothing. Some people in this world think that the Bible teaches that sort of slavery is okay. These are people really who, they're looking for reasons not to believe the word of God, but they're wrong. And if anyone that you speak to makes that claim, then you should tell them they're wrong. You should urge them to stop spreading misinformation. 
Let's have a look in the Old Testament and see what the Lord of Moses said about this type of slavery. In Exodus 21 and verse 16 says this. He who kidnaps a man and sells him. Or if he is found in his hand, in his possession. Shall surely be put to death. So whether it's Mansa Musa ferrying slaves across to the Arabs or it's the Portuguese taking them across, across the Atlantic, um, the Bible condemns that. Within the Hebrew community, selling or even owning one of these types of slaves carried the death penalty. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that we that we enforce that type of um, law uh, today. Uh, I know some of the laws of Moses were meant to be temporary and some were meant to be everlasting. And We're not going to be discussing that today, but at least you know that the Bible carries the severest warnings for people traffickers and slave traders. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, there's the good type of slavery that might sound a bit strange. A good type of slavery. Let me give you an example to get you on side. Imagine I trans- my family was transported, wife and five kids, transported back 300 years. And let's say I was sitting down one day. We were poor, but poorer, poorer than we are now. And I sat down and I figured out that we can't afford to, to, to live. We can't eat. And so we're going to starve. I have a plan. I go to the Lord of the Manor, uh, maybe Lord Derby, and I have a proposition for him. I say, look, will you take three of my children? They will work for you for nothing. I ask only that you will give them a roof over the head, give them food, make sure they've got clothes on the back. And he thinks, well, that's a great that's a great mutually beneficial arrangement. And so he takes them. And now my children are going to live and be safe for the foreseeable future. And I now have enough money to look after the rest of the family. Okay. So this is, this is a type of slavery. But it's one which benefits everyone. And there's a similar type referred to in the Bible. We can see an example in Exodus 21 and verse 2. Because there, Exodus 21 and verse 2 says, If you buy a Hebrew servant, slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. It went on. And it was okay. And we learn something about the, uh, the conditions of the, the, those slaves. Uh, the Sabbath day was a day of rest for them, just the same as anyone else. If the owner uh, assaulted their slave, uh, causing an injury, the slave would be free to go. Any debts cancelled. And if someone went further and murdered their slave, they faced the death penalty. Now, by the time Jesus came into the world, this better type of slavery was still going on in Israel. 
And nowhere did Jesus or the apostles uh, encourage people, encourage slaves to rise up against their masters. You may have seen inspiring Hollywood films, you know, um, about such uh, rebellions. But God sees those things as sinful. James even tells uh, slaves that they should, if they get converted, they should just carry on. Carry on in their job. Their their job of being a slave. Uh, Even if their master is is rubbish and and cruel. Still... As far as it's possible to endure that, you do it. Surprising, maybe. Well, I've talked a bit about literal slavery, okay, uh, including what we read in the Bible. But now we come on to something which is far, far more important. It's that Jesus and the apostles, they often use this word slave. To mean something else. When we all came into this world, we did so as sinful creatures. Don't think anyone would would argue with that. And so when you see someone's newborn baby, uh, you'll invariably say something like, you know, something something nice. How, what a beautiful little baby. And and sometimes there's a baby and they're, they're maybe not... They may be not as blessed in that way as other babies. But you still say something nice out of kindness. You say something nice. Because after all, regardless of what you think the baby looks like, it's still a miracle of God. And we acknowledge that. When we look into that pram or that cot, we should always remember that we are looking at a small Sinner. It already has sin in its heart. The baby hasn't got a clue what's going on yet. But you just wait. And yes, I speak from experience, obviously. You just wait. And then you'll see, perhaps, tantrums in the Isle of Asda. Or Waitrose, or whatever. You'll see, you'll see them stealing toys off other children. And when they get older, they develop these skills in sinning. And they, you get um, lying and cheating even their own parents. And the older they get, well, the more ways they find to sin. So we could think of man as being a kind of slave to wickedness. The people in this world who aren't Christians, they think they're free agents. They think they're free, but they are not. Because not for 24 hours can they walk away from sin. It's like they just can't stop sinning. It's like they're owned by sin or by Satan. It's like they're owned by them. Listen to what Jesus himself said about people who sin. John 8 and verse 34. John 8, 34 says, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. 
Whoever commits sin. That's everyone, isn't it? Barring the Son of God, every human who's ever lived, and whoever is yet to live, commits sin. I'm I'm aware there are some people who who, uh, deny this, and you've met them, I'm sure. They talk of errors. They make mistakes. You know, they tell you they're not perfect. (laughs) This sort of and that type of language is a strong indicator that they have no idea of their enslavement. I mean to say I'm I know I'm not perfect, it's subtle, but it's an attempt to sound humble and righteous at the same time. They're telling you there's this standard called perfection, but sadly they, they haven't quite managed to make that so there's the humility and then (laughs) but they say you know we've i'm only just short of this target and there's the pride coming in romans 3 and verse 23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god Friends, we can dispense with the discussion about the seriousness of this sin compared to the seriousness of another sin. For the purpose of establishing whether someone is a sinner, we need only ascertain they have sinned. And it doesn't matter whether they think they've fallen short by a small amount or a long or a a big amount. Um, The fact is, they have missed that target of God's glorious righteousness. All have sinned, it says. Verse 19 in the reading reminds us, it reminds the believers what they were formerly like. When they came to God in repentance, it was with the understanding that they've been slaves of uncleanness it says breaking God's law continually but we we who are saved tonight we thank God that he slaved that he uh, sorry he freed us from that uh, slave master verse 6 said if you remember that it said we were crucified crucified with Christ so that we should no longer be slaves of sin. To the suffering of his own son, he secured our release. But where does that leave us, friends? Where does that leave us in terms of sin? The verse says, if you sin, you're a slave of sin. Where does that leave us? To explain this, I need to digress for just a few minutes. So bear with me. I want to give you something to think about. I want to propose this. At your conversion, if you are a believer, at your conversion, you became a new creation. Right. In a way, it was you. In a way, you are still you. But it's a new you. And this version of yourself is united to Christ. So, you become, in in some sense, someone who cannot sin. 
Now within your being right now, there are two forces at play. One is sinful. It's the, it's the relic of your former self. And it loves pleasure. It loves pleasure without any constraints whatsoever. And that's why you find yourselves, friends, each day you find yourselves strangely pulled towards doing those things that you don't want to do. And often you give in, just like me. The other force at play is the new creature. One which, by virtue of its union with Christ, is utterly intolerant of sin. Now we've heard these described as the flesh and the spirit. You might like to think the flesh is a 100% sinful and the spirit is 100% Pure and holy. And they war. They war against each other. And sometimes one gets the upper hand versus the other. And we see that in our own lives. And so it is that we see whichever, if you like, whichever principle gets the upper hand. That's the one that shows itself in your behaviour. Whether righteous or sinful. The Apostle Paul says this, which is curious. Romans 7 and 20. I quoted this in my prayer, actually. It says, Romans 7 and verse 20 says, Now, if I do what I desire not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul seems to be saying that when he acts sinfully, it's not actually him. What? He explains that his sinful behaviour is not from him, in a sense. That is, he seems to be saying, Paul, the new creation, doesn't sin. It's not really me, he says, it's sin within me. Now, Paul did take responsibility for his sins. This doesn't get us off the hook. We take responsibility for those sinful actions that come forth from us. But Paul seems to want to say that they don't come from us. The new creations who are partakers of the divine nature, they come from the foul leftovers from our old existence. Well, I've had to be, I've had to be brief making this point. I may not have communicated that well enough. We can discuss it later if you want. But this way of thinking about our sin... I think is helpful when we understand John 8, 34. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. There's a sense in which you and I sin. That is true. I believe there's also a sense in which we don't sin. And it's from that second perspective we can conclude that that verse in John 8 has nothing to do with us. Maybe I have made myself clear on that point and you just disagree. That's okay. Let me throw in one more verse to see if I can cause you to think a little more. 1 John 3 and verse 9. 1 John 3 and verse 9. It says... Now think about this in relation to what Paul has just said. It says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. 
for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he is being born of God. That's quite powerful. Does not sin, cannot sin. It sounds like you've been brought forth from the very womb of heaven itself as a holy and sinless child. But while in this state, it's your responsibility to draw on God for the power to overcome that sinful influence which stalks you each day. Now I'm aware there are other interpretations of those verses. I am aware, obviously. I don't I believe they're less persuasive. But whether you accept what I've just said or not, here's something we'll all agree on. The unconverted people of this world remain enslaved. Right? And as I said, it's ironic. They think they're free. They think they are free. Yet this slavery is of a much worse kind than any that I've mentioned so far. After all, even if you had been literally kidnapped and taken to another country and handed over to some wicked slave driver for the rest of your life, well, that doesn't affect your eternal destiny. And in fact, that's only temporary as well. To be enslaved by sin is far worse. This is a type of slavery there's no way out of. They can't escape. They can't buy their way out. There's no automatic release after a number of years. It's a pointless existence they exist in. And and they're continuing in it. It brings them nearer and nearer to a terrible fate. Verse 21 says, What fruit did you have then in the things which the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. It's bad enough, friends, to realise, as Solomon did in the book of Ecclesiastes, that the end result of all your grand schemes is the grave. Uh, no longer able, never again able to see all the things your hands made, never again able to spend all the wealth that you accumulated. <laughs> the pointlessness of life apart from God is bad enough, but the events which take place after death are much worse. Those people who perhaps lived with the, the expectation that they could die and escape all the consequences of their sin, will have a terrible, terrible uh, surprise. Because the word of God tells us that the grave is not the end of man. (coughs) It tells us that at some unknown point in the future, there will be a resurrection of the dead. Those who died in Christ will be raised to everlasting life. But those who died still in the slavery of sin will be raised to a state of damnation. Now, we're told very little about their future condition. But 
I am fully persuaded that it will be conscious, deeply unpleasant, and never-ending. That, friends, is the tragic story of every man and woman who lives their lives as slaves to sin. They're trapped in their enslavement till they die. After that comes the judgment. And for those people, things will then get much, much worse. Well, I said, people cannot deliver themselves from the slavery. I didn't say they couldn't be delivered. There is one who can rescue them. There is one, and it is almighty God himself. God set in place a way for him to rescue a number of the people of this world. It says that he would end their slavery to sin. And this is what we present to them in the message of the gospel. Now you've been told many times what the word gospel means, yeah? You've been told it means uh, good news, good tidings, that's, 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 that's great. Uh, but you think about it, it's only good news to people who know there's a problem in the first place. It's when people realise they're sinners, slaves to sin, they start to understand the consequences. They see how when death brings an end to that slavery, they don't get release. They suffer a penalty, and that is an eternity separated from God and his blessings. This is why in our evangelism, it's essential to make sure people understand they're sinners who are on their way to falling into the hands of that angry God. And should the Holy Spirit open their eyes to that reality, they'll suddenly become very concerned. And when you come along then with the message of what Jesus Christ has done, then they'll see it as good news, the best news. And when they repent, why everything changes, we've experienced it. They'll pray to God, they'll say, all the sin, Lord, I've committed against you, it's horrifying. It's, you know, I I deserve everything you you were going to throw at me. I plead now for your mercy, so please, Lord, just save me. And then they tell God that they trust in Jesus Christ as their saviour. And they see that he came into this world to die so that they could be released from the slavery of sin. God truly sets them free. Now this doesn't mean God liberates people so they can just go off and carry on as before, obviously. They, or we, uh, they're released from their bondage so that they can become followers of Jesus Christ. And as disciples, they're called uh, servants and curiously even slaves of Jesus. That's what it said in verse 22. But now having been set free from sin and having become... Slaves of God. (laughs) 
<laughs> you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Slaves. Everyone here today who is a believer is a slave. <coughs> Yet, if you're a Christian, you think that being a, being a Christian is the best thing that's ever happened in your entire life. You'll see that none of those negative connotations associated with the word slavery really apply to your service for God. You'll think of it like this then. You're a slave to sin. Uh, now you're a slave to God. You haven't stopped being a slave. It's just like a new owner. But whereas the slavery you used to be in is the worst kind, the kind that would never end and only get worse, the kind of slavery that you're in now, if you're a believer, is that's the best kind. That's the, that's the kind which makes you happy. The kind that you, you never want to end. The Lord of Moses had a provision. For these slaves who... It was time for them to pack the bags and leave. They've served their, their time. And some of them had developed a, a good relationship. They become friends with their owners. Some of them had families. <coughs> families were all friends. And so the Mosaic law had this provision. And it allowed the slave to choose to stay. And they'd go through this small ritual and to stay as, to stay as slaves. And the master would take this small tool. You know what a bradawl is, some of you? A little pointy thing. And then that would pierce the ear. And go through to a doorpost. No anaesthetic. Nice. But what was that for? Well, that was what you did because it was just, well, it was a small price to pay. It was a small price to pay to live happily in the service of the one that you love. And we do the same. I'm a big girl when it comes to pain, but I, I do the same if, if, it was, if it was necessary. And honestly, though, seriously, who is there anyone here who's been delivered from sin? Anyone who would want to go back to the slavery of sin, even if they were promised all the carnal pleasures they could want? Is there anyone who do that? Absolutely not. Verse 17 and 18 say, We who obeyed from the heart the gospel of Jesus Christ are now slaves of righteousness so that we can experience holiness and express holiness. Verse 12 commands us to prevent sin from reigning in our mortal bodies. We're no longer to give free reign to our sin. We are now alive to God. And our lives should show evidence of that change. As I said to you earlier, there's a, there's a daily war going on within your soul. So friends, if you neglect uh, prayer, we can guarantee that your behaviour will start to become <coughs> sinful. 
You can get so far combating uh, temptation in your own strength, then you'll miserably fail. However, if you pray earnestly to God for help and use every ounce of the strength that he gives you to avoid temptation, your behaviour will become more righteous. Sin, we're told in verse 14, shall no longer dominate us. Since we have God dwelling in our hearts now, sin will never again have the hold over us that it once did. Having been delivered from that slavery, friends, then we should, as it says in verse 4 there, walk in newness of life. I said earlier, the Bible talks about us being under new ownership. And it sometimes uses the word servant instead of slave. Uh, Listen to how some of the saints in the New Testament church describe themselves. Paul, he says he's a servant of God. You can read slave if you prefer. Jude introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. James identifies as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those saints have all gone. We who are the saints alive today, well, it's our job to carry on. Carry on their work. We do all we can to show the people of this world that they are in bondage to sin. We tell them the consequences of their sin. And we give them the good news of the gospel. The message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to end their enslavement to sin. To add them to the number, the ever-growing number of saints that have been redeemed. And he saves them to make them to be like us. Joyful servants of God forever. Amen.